0: Today's Old Testament reading comes from Psalm 98 and can be found on page 603 of the Church Bibles. Sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation for him. The Lord has made his salvation known and revealed his righteousness to the nations. He has remembered his love and his faithfulness to Israel, and the end of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Burst into jubilant song with music. Make music to the Lord with the harp, with the harp and the sound of singing. With trumpets and the blast of the ram's horn, Shout for joy before the Lord the King. Let the sea resound and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. Let the rivers clap their hands. Let the mountains sing together for joy. Let them sing before the Lord. For He comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples with equity. This is the word of the Lord. Today's New Testament reading comes from Romans chapter 8, verses 1 to 4, and can be found on page 1135 of the Church Bibles. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because through Christ, Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life, has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh in order to in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us, who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Please join me in prayer. Father, through your spirit, empower us to hear your word and do your will. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Start this morning by telling you about something I'm thankful for. I'm thankful for when in anthracyclines quinone, quinone and hydroquinone groups of molecules on adjacent rings allow gain and loss of electrons in the conversion of quinone to the semiquinone radical. This semiquinone free radical converts back to quinine under aerobic conditions, resulting in the formation of superoxide, anion, and hydrogen peroxide. The excessive formation of these free radical radical consequences in lipid peroxidation within cell membranes, DNA damage, and then finally, cell death. Yes, I'm very thankful for that this morning. And I'm sure, I'm sure actually some of you share in my thankfulness. Now let me tell you about something that gives me a sense of well-being in my life feeling of great assurance it's when in the realm of airfoils the effects of air viscosity lead to the formation of a starting vortex the starting vortex then rotates in a counterclockwise direction to satisfy the conservation of angular momentum there must be an equivalent motion to oppose the vortex movement this takes the form of circulation around the airfoil the velocity vectors from this counter-circulation add to the free-flow velocity vectors, thus resulting in a higher velocity above the airfoil and a lower velocity below the airfoil. This pressure difference results in an upward lifting force on the airfoil. Yes, I received great assurance from what I just read. And I'm sure some of you do too. All right. Finally, let me tell you about what brings great joy to my heart. It's one on a beautiful field of grass. There unfolds in front of me. A burst to green, left slot F, left Fox 2F, deep over, kill 92, lead, alert black, auto to 324, smoke on one. Yes, such a thing brings me great joy. But honestly, I'm going to guess for most of you, no joy at all. Well, in any case, what in the world is Pastor Mark talking about this morning? I know it's something you probably wonder every Sunday morning to some degree, (laughs) but perhaps this week even more than usual. What in the world am I talking about? Well, what I'm talking about with all this talk about anthracyclines, airfoils, and left Fox 2Fs are processes. Processes that can be difficult to describe, hard to understand, but yet, can have an incredibly positive and beneficial effect on our lives. Take that first example when I stumbled through this explanation of anthracyclines. I hope it was understandable um, somewhat. In this example, I was talking about the chemistry of chemotherapy, the chemistry of chemotherapy, how it works, its process. Difficult to describe, hard to understand for many of us, I suspect. But yet, for some of us and for some of our loved ones, something we're extremely grateful for. This because it was a lifesaver for us or for them. Next, I spoke about airfoils. And here I was talking about the physics of the takeoff of an airplane. Again, a, a process difficult to describe and hard to understand but yet something that can give us great assurance as we sit there in that middle seat waiting for takeoff, like this, right? And finally, that gibberish about Left Fox 2 F's. What I've described here is the anatomy of an American football play. It's a complex pass play called by a coach. Something that, when it unfolds, gives me and others great joy. Might not be understood by me and others, but nonetheless can be appreciated and enjoyed. Okay, so maybe some of you are wondering now, what is the point of all this? What's the point of all these examples? Well, the point is that all these examples, the point is that while certain processes processes can sometimes be difficult to explain and hard to understand, they can nonetheless have a hugely positive effect on our lives. Filling us with such things as gratitude, assurance, and joy. And this brings us now to the process that the Apostle Paul describes in Romans 8. Now, obviously in Romans 8, we are not going to find the chemistry of chemotherapy. We're not going to find the physics of a takeoff. We're not going to find the anatomy of an American football play. But what we will find... Especially in these first four verses of Romans 8. What we will find is the theology of salvation. And this theology of salvation that Paul talks about and describes here in Romans 8. While in its details it's probably not all that easy for many of us to understand. It's still something that we can come to appreciate. And this, I believe, is is Paul's main motivation here for giving us this process, for what he writes. Sure, Paul wants his audience to gain an understanding of this process of salvation here. He wants us to gain that understanding, no question about it. But more so, he wants us to have this great sense of gratitude, this great sense of assurance, this great sense of joy that results from knowing that in and through Jesus Christ, our salvation has been made a reality. So let's look together now at what Paul writes. Let's look at the process. Paul in Romans 8.1 starts out with what I consider 13 of the most beautiful words ever written. This is what he writes. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Beautiful words? Amen. We see in Paul's use of the word therefore that Paul's beautiful words here in Romans 8, 1 are the logical conclusion of something he has already expressed before. And the something he's expressed before is found in the preceding chapter, Romans 7, 25, where he says this, Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. So as one delivered from the power of evil, through Jesus Christ his Lord, Paul can then assert in Romans 8, 1, that there therefore, therefore, that word again, therefore be no condemnation for him or no condemnation for anyone else who is in Christ Jesus. For him or for anyone else who belongs to Christ Jesus through faith in him. So this statement that Paul makes here, these 13 words, these are the heart of the gospel, yes? The heart of the gospel this Paul is articulating here in verse one, first part. This because the, the default destiny, the default destiny for human beings because of the guilt they have inherited and the sins they have committed, the default destiny is condemnation, condemnation from God. It's a sentence of forever death. This condemnation from God is a, is a judgment that carries with it the penalty of an eternity spent completely removed from his presence, an eternity spent completely separated from his love. This is an eternity of pain and, and suffering and despair. It's literally and figuratively hell. Hell. So that's the default destiny of human beings condemnation from God eternity in hell and this again because of the guilt they've inherited and the sins they've committed but but this default destiny we learn from Paul in Romans 8:1 is superseded by an alternative reality for those who are in Jesus Christ For those who by grace and through faith belong to him. This alternative reality is something quite different from this default destiny. It's an alternative reality of salvation, of new life now and eternal life later. It's a salvation of renewal, restoration, and reconciliation. It's a salvation of now and forever love, now and forever joy now and forever peace it's a salvation which both the present and the future are spent in the near presence of God spent enjoying his grace and mercy spent celebrating his goodness and greatness so salvation rather than condemnation is what Paul is celebrating here for those in Jesus Christ Salvation rather than condemnation is their alternative reality. But how does it actually all work? As people say, how does the sausage get made, right? What are the mechanics of such a salvation? What is its process? Well, this Paul goes on to explain now. In verse 2 and in the verses that follow. Here he outlines some of the theology of salvation. And he does so in terms, let's face it, terms that might not immediately be understandable by everyone who encounters them the first time. It's deep, heavy, complex stuff that Paul writes about here. And this is what he says. I'm at verse 2 now. Therefore there is no... Sorry, verse 1. I'll repeat and then go on to verse 2. Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus... Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. Okay, I told you it was deep, heavy, complex stuff. So drawing on the wisdom and intellect of others, let me now try to explain this a bit. Uh, I'll try to explain it as simply as I can without oversimplifying it. I probably won't succeed one way or the other. I either won't do a good job of explaining it or I'll oversimplify it, but it's my best shot. So here you go. For Paul, we might say that in verse 2, the law is the means by which we attain perfection before God. Let me repeat that. In verse 2, this law that Paul's talking about mentions a couple of times. This law is the means by which we attain perfection before God. Perfection is what God demands of us. And it is by his law, his revealed will, that we attain it. Now, some of you are saying, that doesn't sound right to me. Because I've read the Apostle Paul. And that's not really what he says at all. But wait, 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 wait. Let me explain. Let me be clear here that for Paul in verse 2, there's law. And then there's law. The first kind of law Paul mentions in verse 2 is the law of the Spirit. This law is all about perfection before God gained through grace granted. I'll repeat that. This is about a perfection before God gained through granted grace. See it the other way. So embracing this kind of law uh, as our rule for life, this gives us the power, as we'll see in a little bit, to lead new lives in Christ. Now, the second kind of law that Paul mentions in verse 2, we might call this the law of works. The law of works. This law is all about perfection before God gained through our lived obedience. Perfection gained through our lived obedience. Embracing this kind of law as our rule of life, this leaves us powerless, as we'll see, against everyday sin and and against eternal death, too. As Paul will go on to explain... So, just so we understand where we are now, two different kinds of laws, two very different rules of life, two very different ways of living. There's perfection before God, gained through granted grace, or there's perfection before God, gained through lived obedience what Paul is trying to point out here what he's trying to point out here is that this first rule of life this this perfection before God gained through through grace granted this rule of life is the only one that can actually set us free from the everyday sin and eternal death which the other rule of life is powerless against and the reason it can set us free is because when we embrace grace we receive the Spirit of God. And it's the power of the Spirit of God which enables us to overcome the power of everyday sin and eternal, life, eternal death in our lives. Okay, so that's some of the theology now explained, some of the process explained, but there's more to it, especially as it concerns this perfection we've been talking about. This is what we read next from Paul in verse 3. For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. So when Paul's talking here about law in in verse 3, he's talking about this works law. Works law, the, the rule of life that is all about attaining perfection before God through lived obedience. Adapting such a rule for life, this lived obedience rule for life. Paul points out this, is, this was futile for humans. It didn't work. It didn't go anywhere. This because they were weakened, as he says, by the flesh. In other words, their corrupted human nature. Their corrupted human nature did not allow for them to attain this perfection they were striving for through lived obedience. So God in his grace, God in his love, desiring the salvation of humanity, sent his son into the world, sent him as a God-man, someone both human and divine, into this world, looking exactly like any other human being walking around. In the likeness of flesh, Paul says, right? And he did so in order for him to serve as a sacrifice for the sins of those humans he wanted to save. You see, humans, because of this flesh, this corrupted human nature, they weren't going to be able to attain perfection through their lived obedience. It was never going to happen. So as a result, God sends his son, Jesus Christ, into this world as a sacrifice in order to once and for all remove this guilt associated with all their imperfections and to give them instead once and for all all the innocence associated with Christ's perfection. As Paul explains it further in verse 4, he says, And so he, meaning God, condemns sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us, who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. So here's Paul's point, is that through Christ's death on the cross, God ended the domination of sin and in doing so he ended the domination of sin in us believers he ended it for us allowing us to embrace this perfection gained through granted grace rather than through lived obedience with such an embrace of grace we finally we finally were be were able to satisfy the righteous requirements of the law Because it was not our own righteousness now on which we were being judged by God, but rather the righteousness of Christ. John Knox said it this way. He says it was really about signing the death warrant of sin here. (laughs) That's what God did. And in doing so, God allowed us through Christ to appear sinless before him. Okay. We're through verse 4 now. That's a little bit of the theology of salvation as given to us by the Apostle Paul in Romans 1 through 4. For some of us, perhaps, uh, this strikes us as more complex than the chemistry of chemotherapy, chemotherapy, the physics of takeoff, or the anatomy of a football play. For others of us, maybe not so complex at all. We're probably all in very different places in this respect here. Whatever our understanding, though, whatever our understanding of its mechanics... My hope and my prayer this morning is that we can appreciate the amazing love behind it and the incredible benefit of it, of God's action, of God's salvation through Jesus Christ. And my hope and prayer is that then it will give us a sense of gratitude, a great sense of gratitude, a great sense of assurance, a great sense of joy for the salvation we have received So in connection with this, let me just end, I'll close by asking you a question. It's a question a parent might ask a child. At least an American parent might ask this question of a child. I don't know, we'll see if it kind of goes in other countries too. It's a question a parent might ask a child after that child has been repeatedly, repeatedly, repeatedly been asking, asking them for something. And the parent has repeatedly, repeatedly, repeatedly told them no. Kind of like uh, one example might be your 12 year old says, Hey, me and my friends, uh, we want to go to the Strassenparade, right? Hang out there, meet people. Parent says, No, 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 no. Child says, can I please, 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 please. Parent says, no, 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 no. Parent says, please, 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 please. All right. Then after this, after this goes on, what does the parent say? Or what does the parent ask the child? Tell me this, Billy, Cindy, whatever. What part of no don't you understand here? (laughs) Right? What part of no don't you understand? I've told you a thousand times no. What part of no don't you understand? Now, here's the connection. You say, well, what does that have to do with Romans 8? Here's the connection I'd like to make now between Romans 8 and this question. As you'll see, it's not a perfect connection. But the words of the question can help us, I think, uh, understand something very important. So I can very well imagine God asking the same question to us, his people, in relation to what he has told us through the Apostle Paul in Romans 8. God has told us that there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But, 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 the way we sometimes live our lives, particularly in the, the spiritual realm of our lives, this could very well prompt God to ask the same question. What part of no don't you understand? As in, what part of no condemnation do you not understand? This because it often seems to be the case that people like us who are in Christ Jesus, we live like we are still subject to condemnation. Still subject to condemnation if we're not good enough. Still subject to condemnation if we're not good enough. I wonder if God looks down and sees all our, all our religious to and froing, all our religious back and forthing, all our religious striving and straining, all our religious go getting and all outing. And I wonder if He asks, Why can't you rest in my grace? Why can't you repose in my love? Why can't you take comfort in my mercy? Why can't you experience joy in my forgiveness? Why can't you find peace in my promises? What part of no and no condemnation do you not understand? You live, after all, like people who are still trying to earn it. When in reality, you are people who have already been given it. What part of the no and no condemnation don't you understand? Yes, I can imagine God asking such a question of us, given the lives we sometimes lead. And it's a good question indeed. Of course. It goes without saying that I'm not encouraging here spiritual passivity or religious lethargy, but simply a spirit informed perspective here. A spirit informed perspective on who God is and the reality of what He has promised us through Jesus Christ. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus pray that we would all embrace this promise for ourselves and that our understanding of this promise would bring us about would bring about in us as i mentioned before much gratitude much assurance and much joy as i believe the apostle paul hoped it would in the name of the father the son and the holy spirit amen let's pray Father, you've told us, you've said no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So we pray, Lord, today that we would take you at your word, that we would embrace this promise for us. Give us faith, give us belief, give us the assurance, uh, give us the comfort of knowing you and your son and your spirit. And we ask this all in Jesus' name, amen. Go here from from here today. Thankful, assured, and filled with joy that there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus our Lord. And now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit go with you and remain with you always. Amen. Amen.